Good evening, LCM. Tonight is May 6th, 2020, and this is the final installment of our Into the Darkness series. Mm. Yeah. Come on now, hasn't this been a good series? Yes, it has. See, it's interesting when you start and you walk into a place and you think you agree from the very first moment of what we're saying. And then time after time after time, you realize that the Word of God is even better than what you thought. That's right. It's even more elevated than what you thought it yes. was. See, throughout this entire series, we have been taking the precious nature of God's Word and examining it. Kind of like a jewel. We just keep turning this jewel and seeing another side. That's right. Through the entirety of the light of His written Word. Our first facet, we focused on the brilliance of sending simple men and simple sons into the darkness. Our second sermon... We looked into the vividness of having our success defined only by the Word of God. Somebody say only. Only. See, just like the Apostle John, whose only measure of success was full obedience to the Word. Can somebody say amen in this house? Amen. Next in our messages, we witness the luster of the living Word as we gazed upon the glory of suffering. That was a powerful message. Illustrated that the radiance of God's word is able to be displayed as we proclaim the sufficiency of scripture. Amen. Turning that jewel yet again. God's word was exalted as the resplendence of God himself. Through the supremacy. Say supremacy. Supremacy. Supremacy of scripture. Sunday, the intensity of the light of God's written word, it became so bright as to burn away all other fires, all other torches, all other strawed endeavors. Saints, what we're saying is the word, the word, the word, the word, the word is everything. Amen. So tonight. The title of our sermon is Sons Serving. Sons Serving. As it has been our custom, church, let's brace ourselves and begin by clinching with the darkness. Let's go to Jude 4. Come on. Let's turn to the book of Jude. We're going to look at verse 4 in the book of Jude. Come on. Somebody say, Sons Serve when you get there. It says this, for certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. Uh Uh-oh, somebody say, that's dark. That's dark. They are godless men who change the grace of God into a license for immorality. Come on now, has anybody known someone like this? Yep. And deny Jesus as our only sovereign and Lord. See, in the darkness church, there are false sons who secretly slip in among us and they try to teach us things that are against the actual written word of God. That's horrible, isn't it? In fact, these godless men are walking in the light of their own fires. They do their best to change God's grace, His power to say no to ungodliness, turn it into a license for immorality. These satanic powers aren't satisfied with just slipping in among us or just changing God's grace. They're only satiated with denying the actual sovereignty of God. See, when you start changing the word, you begin to deny his sovereignty. 
in addition to denying his sovereignty, they become substitutions. Substitutions that are worse than straw and destined for the fires of judgment in accordance with the written word of God. Come on, somebody say that's dark. That's dark. Let's look in Second Peter chapter 2. Let's clench with this just a little bit more. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. And while we're doing this, church, while we're focusing in on what the Word of God has to say, let's really look and let the Word speak to us tonight. See, it says this, but there were also false prophets among the people. Somebody say the people. The people. Just as there will be false teachers among you. Okay, see, the Word of God is for us tonight. Somebody say it's for me. It's for me. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. Can you hear the same remnants as what we just read in the book of Jude? Bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Wow. In their greed. Wow. In their greed. Yeah. These teachers will exploit you with stories they just made up. Fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. Wow. Saints, can you hear the sirens call? Even as the scripture warns us tonight, as we read this very passage, false prophets proclaiming their fantasies, things that they have made up, False teachers that twist the truths of God's written word. They twist the truths of the Torah, of the Tanakh, of the entirety of the book that is laying in your lap right now. They seduce the sincere sons into the darkness. The very darkness that defines their own lives. We must take heed and warning to this. Because their goal, these godless men, is to secretly, meaning in the dark, say dark, dark, in the dark, they want to introduce destructive heresies that are aimed at demeaning the very written word of God. Church, because they are denying the word, they are actually denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. Did you catch that in our passage there? They were blood bought. What a chilling thought to have blood-bought men who are secretly spawning heresies. See, these men show that they've become actual sons of the devil instead of sons of the kingdom. Mm. Unfortunately, because there are so many not walking in the light of God's written word, the scripture says that many will follow their shameful, disgusting, degenerate ways that they're propagating everywhere. See, church, we are trying to clench with the darkness here tonight. We're trying to understand what's going on. See, you can rest assured, though, that their condemnation is certain. Their destruction has not fallen asleep. Their destruction is waiting upon them. See, but here in this house, we're trying to raise up sons who will follow the Word of God unendingly, unceasingly, in every single area of our lives so that our lives do not look like these men here, these sons of the devil. Oh, we're trying to raise up sons that are distinct. 
that are separate from this world, that are able to wield God's word in their hand and separate light from darkness inside themselves in addition to everyone else. In fact, from one of the previous messages, we shared a slide with you from 2 Timothy 3. I'll read in verse 1 as the slide comes up. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Good thing we don't see that anymore. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Have nothing to do with them. As we see this slide on the screen, we have these two categories. Lovers of pleasure. Those that are, have a powerless form of godliness. And the descriptors that we just got through reading. But that's not where Paul stopped. Wow. Let's go on to verse 6. It says this. They are the kind who worm their way into homes. Little worms. Worm. And gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kind of evil desires. Listen to this phrase. Always learning, but never able to acknowledge or do or carry out the truth. See, this got really serious really quickly, didn't it? It did. It's one thing to have a list and we all go, yes, those are bad things. But look what's going on. We're getting to a whole nother level here in this verse. A level where these men are worming their way in. Just that imagery. Little worm just going to sneak you right under the door. Sneaky, (laughs) sly, deceptive, degenerate. How are they able to actually do that, though? Read the scripture. How are they actually able to do that? You see, because in the darkness, people are always learning, but never doing. Because they do not see the scripture as sufficient. They're always learning, but never doing because they do not see the scripture as supreme. They're always learning and never doing because they do not see the scripture as the only true source of light. God's written word. Let's take it a little bit further. Verse 8, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men oppose the truth. Men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. See, these men don't just slip in among us. They aren't just false prophets or false teachers. They don't only worm their way in. See, these dark men, they oppose the truth and show what a depraved, degenerate mind looks like. What does a depraved... Degenerate mind look like, you may ask. Good question, church. What a good group of people to ask such a good question tonight. See, it's not just that they oppose the men of God. They oppose the very truth that the men of God are standing upon. See, they are denying this. They are opposing both those who love the word and the word itself. This is what calls the Bible calls a depraved, degenerate mind. Well, in fact... Anyone with this same kind of depraved and degenerate mind stands opposed to truth and they are that way because they are calling good evil. They're declaring light as darkness. 
It is not possible to consider them as part of the faith. In fact, the word rightly considers them rejected. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 13. See here at LCM, we are trying to make sure that there is not one small area in your heart. There's not one place where uh, the depravity of walking and standing against the truth exhibits itself inside of you. Not one area, not one day. Not one hour that we are standing in opposition to the men of God or to the truth that those men stand upon. See, down in our hearts, when no one else can know, we are raising up a church that are going to show that they are sons who can serve the living God. Amen. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 24 says this. Are you there with me? It says this. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Come on now, somebody say good seed. Good seed. But listen to this. While everyone was sleeping, uh oh, his enemy came and sowed weeds. Somebody say weeds. Weeds. See, the man sowed good seed, but the enemy sows weeds among the wheat, and then he went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. Hmm. So it's in the darkness. There are things that are being planted that are of a different nature than the ones found in the kingdom of heaven. Are you, are you understanding this, this parable as we're setting it up? This is a man who plants good seeds in the field. But there are other things that are also planted and they begin to grow up. See, these dark weeds are things that are growing right alongside of the wheat. They're growing right alongside of the good seed that is producing which is that wheat that is the pure word of God at work in the sons of God. There are other things that can begin to grow up. Mm. See, the problem is, is that with things that grow in the darkness, hidden, deceptive areas, is that the weeds aren't always obvious at first. You can't see it for what it really is. It's just seed form. And in those dark, deceptive areas... It begins to grow right alongside with other areas of your life. In fact, verse 26 says that it was only after the wheat had sprouted and formed heads, coming to a place of maturity, full fruition. Then the weeds also appeared right next to it. See, when did those seeds get planted? It was when they were sleeping. When they were sleeping. Yeah. That alongside of the good seed, there were weeds that were planted. See, saints, we're asking you not to go to sleep on us here. See, we're asking and and directing you towards something because the implications of this passage are life-changing. See, and as we begin to dig deeply into this passage, we want to let you look at the following slide to help your understanding grow. This slide is from Vine's expository on the word for weeds. Zazanian. Strong's number 2215 in the New Testament. It's plants growing in the grain fields as tall as wheat and barley. Hmm. You mean they have an appearance? They have an appearance of maturity, of height and stature, and resembling wheat in appearance. It was credited among the Jews with being degenerate wheat. What? It wasn't classified as something altogether separate. It had everything as the appearance of wheat, but it wasn't wheat. It was degenerate wheat. In fact, the rabbis went as far 
to name this weed that was degenerate wheat with one singular word. Bastard. Illegitimate or degenerate wheat. In fact, the seeds of this illegitimate seed or illegitimate wheat were poisonous to man and herbivorous animals. Now, think through this. They produced sleepiness when consumed. Wow. Putting you into an ever greater state of deception and more seeding of other weeds. Come on. A state of nausea. No matter how sweet to the mouth, it is bitter to the soul. Causes convulsions. Well, you can imagine that in your mind. Falling down the ground and writhing in pain, if not flopping like a fish freshly caught. Consuming these degenerate forms of wheat can even lead to death. But there's an exception. You see the parentheses at the bottom of this slide? They are harmless to poultry. So here's what your pastors have concluded. That these degenerate forms of wheat, these illegitimized versions, cannot have ill effect in chickens. These one source of fowl or foul-spirited animals that walk around constantly consumed by fear and most Americans. Church, church, do you see what's going on here? So you have weeds. What are they producing? They're pre- producing drowsiness, sleepiness, producing nausea. It's, it's turning stomachs. It's producing convulsions when your body is not able to actually work the way that you intend for it to work and even death. See, the seeds that are planted, there's one that gives life and there's one that clearly gives death here. Let's continue on in our passage in Matthew 13 and look at verse It says, he answered, the one who sowed the good seeds is the son of man. Come on, somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The field is the world and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. Oh, yeah. What do those good seeds stands for? They're the sons of the kingdom. The weeds. Those sleepy, nauseated, convulsing, dying people (laughs) are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Man, don't you like a good remez? Yeah. Don't you like something that's hinted at, and then the Bible explains itself, so you don't have to even try to make your own conclusions? See, this is what is happening here. The Bible is explaining itself, and we're gonna, we're gonna go through this to make sure that we're getting it. Oh, Pastor, I'm so glad God's Word can make the simple wise. I'm gaining wisdom right now as I get gleanings from this remez you see in in this explanation the one sowing the good seed it's not you right does everybody understand that the one sowing the good seed is not you it's the son of man come on see you are in this story but the glory of planting the seed and having a good harvest is given to only one and that's given to jesus and jesus alone come on now The field is the world, and the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. 
Come on, this is the things, these are what we're talking about. The ones who must grow, the ones who have to mature, the ones who are going to produce more wheat, the ones who are going to take what they are and reproduce that. See, these are sons of the kingdom. Somebody say sons. Sons. Now the other seed, the depraved, bastardized seed, are clearly defined as the sons of the evil one. Did you guys get that in the explanation? All right, amen. So we'll make sure we're all clear. So we're saying that there are two kinds of sons. There are two kinds of sons. You're either a son of the kingdom or you're a son of the evil one. See, and what we are raising is a house full of sons of this kingdom. Amen? Amen. Let's all turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 10. Yeah, say son serving whenever you get there. John 1.10. He was in the world. And through the world was made, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right. Say right. Right. He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. See, saints, the world didn't recognize him because they were of different seed. They're weeds. They're degenerate. They're fighting the truth. They weren't able to recognize when the one true son came. However, all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name and are transformed by the written word of God, to those... He gave the right to become children of God. To those he gave the right to be planted in the field of the world by Jesus himself. See, these children didn't only come from natural descent. And by the way, kudos to this church. Amen. You guys are, are, are being diligent about producing the next generation. So many so that we can't even wait more than a year. We got to, every few months, we need to have another baby dedication so we can all fit up the front of the, of the church. Amen. See, here we're talking about children that are not only from natural descent. Somebody say only. Only. They're not only from natural descent, but they were born, planted, cultivated, reared by God himself. Amen. You know what? Speaking of supernatural sons, good seed that's planted in the field of this world won't we all turn to Genesis chapter 48 and say son serving whenever you get there? Come on, Genesis 48. And we're going to start in chapter five, uh, in verse 5. <laughs> Genesis 48 and verse 5 says this. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born to you after them will be yours. In the territory they inherit, they will be reckoned under the names of their brother. Now let me give you the context of what we're reading here. Because I know you guys are Bible scholars and you already know clearly where we're going with this. But here we have Jacob, who is speaking to Joseph. Jacob, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob. Like, as, as it was building through the generations from Abraham, we get to Jacob, whose name is actually changed to Israel many, many chapters before in Genesis 32. This is the man who is speaking to his sons about 
his sons. He's speaking about his own grandsons. Okay? See, Jacob had 12 sons. But it didn't just stay at 12 sons. Those 12 sons turned into 12 tribes. But has anyone ever wondered, or just show of hands, interact with me tonight. Have you ever wondered why Ephraim and Manasseh were called half-tribes? Yes? Raise your hand if you've ever thought that. Was it because they were a certain height? They weren't tall enough. No. In fact, it sounds a little insulting to be called just a half-tribe. But if you think about it, they weren't insulted. They were actually elevated. We're going to tell you exactly how. See, Jacob is speaking about his grandsons, about Joseph's sons. See, but he's not just speaking to them. What is he saying? He's saying, these sons are now my sons. They were your sons, and I'm taking them, and I'm elevating them to a place of sonship. It's a special thing to be a grandson. Come on, we got any grandparents in the house? It's, it's something special when you look at them. And what is the, the typical plan for a grandparent is to spoil them as much as possible and then hand them back to their parents, laughing at them as you do it. See, but Jacob is speaking to his Joseph's sons and he's transforming them. Somebody say transforming. Transforming. He's elevating them. Somebody say elevating. Elevate. See, Jacob gave them the right of sonship. Not grandsons, which they were, but full rights as sons. Now, what does that mean? That means if your sons, Joseph's sons, are now elevated to the same level as Joseph. You get sons who are about to become brothers in this house. You get people who were sired by someone who are now elevated to sonship. Pastor, what, what that brings to mind is a reflection that we see in Hebrews chapter 2. Turn there and say, son serving. As we read this, I want you to remember what pastor just said. That Jacob granted sonship to his grandsons that elevated them to equal with Joseph. Hebrews 2, verse 10. In bringing many sons to glory, It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. Come on now, same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them... What's that next word? Brothers. Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. Do you see the parallel? The parallel between Ephraim and Manasseh, exalted by the father of all Israel, to equal status of Joseph. And now what we see here is that we had that same opportunity to participate in the sonship that has now turned into a brotherhood, standing as a co-heir with the very Son of God. Come on now. Can you tell how that a half-tribe is not an insult? It's an elevation. Yes. See, it's those who actually shouldn't have been at that level. And by the way, when Jacob is saying it, he calls out the names of his two firstborn, Reuben and Simeon. Let your children be like mine, not just somewhere back in the pack. Let them be like my first and second-born sons. 
Let it be like the strength yeah. of my entire household. Yeah. I want you to know that when you get elevated, you get elevated. Amen. When you become sons who are serving and you sacrifice and you continue to seed the planet, what happens is you get an elevation that you are now a brother of Jesus Amen. Christ. You are directly, Amen. you have a direct line to the Father. You are a son who has become a brother. Come on now, that's good. Amen. Let's look back at Genesis 48. Let's look at verse 20, because it gets even better. Not only did they get elevated to the same level as their uncles, to the same level as their father, they got elevated in a pretty special way in Genesis 48 and verse 20. Somebody say son serving when you're there. He blessed them that day. And he said, in your name will Israel. This is Israel speaking, by the way, which makes this kind of a, an, an interesting phrase. In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. May God. You want to bless somebody? Let's tell them, may God bless you and make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. We were reading this. We should see and recognize that Jacob blesses both Manasseh and Ephraim. But not only are they blessed, not only are they elevated, not only are they granted the rights to become sons, these men become brothers of Joseph. And the very model of being blessed in all of Israel. They are now the fixed reference point of how blessings occur. Through the nation of Israel. Because he says, may God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Are, are you saying, are you understanding this, saints? They became brothers of the Savior of the world. The sons yes. became brothers of the Savior of the world. See, even to this day, every Shabbat, there's a blessing. And you bless your sons. Is that God may make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. See, these men were born in Egypt. I mean, let, let's examine this for just a second. They were born in Egypt, in a profoundly secular society. At least we don't have any understanding of what that's like. They were not from a people of high character. Yet they remained faithful to the way that God had prescribed in His Word. These were faithful young men, rightly trained by their father. Sons who understood. Sons who reflected their father. And therefore, their grandfather. And they became sons who served in a very special kind of way. They proved worthy as sons. And they became elevated to something special. To a brotherhood of sons. What an incredible thought. To be elevated into a brotherhood of sons. Because of faithfulness to the written, eternal, sufficient, supreme light of God's written word. Saints, is it a blessing to be elevated into our brotherhood of sons? I mean, that's the way that we live. That's the, our model of way of life as we see it in the scripture. It's also a blessing to be elevated. Elevated to that brotherhood of sons. But there's a purpose to this. It doesn't just stop with you. That God's intent and purposes is that sons are elevated in order to produce more sons. Sons are elevated in order to produce more sons after their own kind. 
Oh man, whenever God does a miraculous work within an individual's life, it's supposed to grow to the point it affects a family. And those families are supposed to experience the elevated nature of a brotherhood of sons to the point it affects an entire nation. That by replicating after their own kind, they are then ready to be sent into the darkness of this present world. Bring about life-changing power that occurred in them, that occurred in their family, and that will, as surely as the sun rises, occur within an entire nation. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 22. Say, sun serving whenever you're there. But you know that Timothy has proved himself. Mm. Because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. Come on now. A son so who's serving. What you say in pastors about reading this verse that Timothy didn't prove himself by uh, a perfect uh, scorecard no. on Answering all the questions and discipleship helps no, or training. Absolutely not. It wasn't proven himself because he hit the exact eight minute mark when he was given his message and ministry training. <laughs> Though that's a great thing. That, that was... That's not how he proved himself. He proved himself because he was acting like a son, a son that was with his father serving the vision of the father by being sent into the darkness to spread the gospel. Verse 23 says, I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. See, not only was he proven, not only did he serve in the work of spreading the gospel, he sacrificed his very life to be able to be sent. See, he was doing exactly what was modeled by Paul, his father acting like a true son and thereby willing to sacrifice just as the father did. Yeah, let's keep going with this thought in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Everybody turn there with me. 1 Corinthians 4, and we're going to look at verse 16. See, you've heard enough times in your life that Timothy is considered as Paul's son. You've heard it enough. But don't let, don't let that lull you to sleep and miss the point here. Timothy was, was far off. He was a, a stranger. And, and then he became known. And then he became a friend. And then he became a son. How did he become a son? Because he continued to be elevated. He continued to serve. He took the word of God and he enacted it every single day in every Amen. single way. See, Amen. he put it into practice. Look at verse 16 in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. It says this, Therefore I urge you to imitate me. This is Paul speaking. I urge you to imitate me. For this reason. For which reason? For you imitating Paul, I am sending to you Timothy, my son whom I love. Are you telling me that if you want to be like the father, you need to see his son? This is the level of of fathering. This is the level of pastoring that we're talking about. When you're creating sons, when you're raising up sons and daughters in your own house, do you know what you want to be able to say? If you want to imitate me, you can go look at my kids. 
You can go look at what they're doing because I've trained them how to serve, how to sacrifice, how to be sent out. I can do this with them. And if you like what you see there, then you should be able to do it looking at our sons. Well, that's a whole nother level of parenting, isn't it? It is. That's a whole nother level. You're not just trying to keep them alive between bath times. You're not just trying to manage a, a, an age range. You are creating someone that should be able to show other people how to imitate your way of life. Paul says, I urge you to imitate me. Come on, do it. For this reason, I'm sending you Timothy, my son whom I love. Who is faithful in the Lord. Come on, somebody say faithful. Faithful. Man, you cannot overcome the beauty, the simplicity of a word like faithful. A son who is faithful. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ. Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Man, are you getting this? Paul saying, if you want to imitate me, watch Timothy. If you want to be like me, hang out with my son. See, sons are sent to emulate their fathers. Sons are sent to glorify their fathers. Sons are sent to show the way to the father. Come on now. See, sons have to be sacrificial to be able to remain faithful. And this is what Timothy proves here. Sons are sent to remind. Sons are sent to do the work of seeding the world. When Paul couldn't be there, he sent his son to go do it. Man, what a beautiful, beautiful picture of discipleship. What a beautiful picture of sons who are serving. They're sent to remind and do the work of seeding the world in every church, in every way, in every land, to every person, in every time. The goal, the point of the gospel is that you might send sons, that you might send those who can replicate the exact same DNA of the kingdom and procreate that everywhere. Amen. Everybody turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Look at one more scripture regarding Timothy, this son that was sent. 1 Thessalonians 3.2 We sent Timothy, who is our brother. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. The previous two scriptures we read were regarding Timothy as a son. But here we see in 1 Thessalonians 3, we sent Timothy who is our brother. He was elevated. He was granted that position and opportunity to be seen as a brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in the faith. So that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. And when facing the obstacles, the trials of just doing God's will, how good is it when you have a reminder of what sonship looks like? And how much more better when you have a brother that has been elevated to stand right next to you in the midst of those trials. To be able to declare the very nature of the Father no longer alone, but now side by side with a brother because it was first granted to him the elevation of sonship. Wow. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 25. Philippians 2 and verse 25. Son serving when you get there. 
but I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother. Somebody say brother. Brother. Fellow worker. Boy, that sounds exactly like what the passage that Pastor Matt just said. My brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. See, Church Epaphroditus wasn't just a brother, but how did he get to the brother status? He was a brother from another mother. But how did he do that? (laughs) How did he do that? He was a son who became elevated into the status of brother. But how did he do it? It's because he learned to serve. He was a son who knew how to serve. He knew how to sacrifice. Let's look at these as it goes on in verse 26. He longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on not only on him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Wow. How special is that kind of a son who became a brother? Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him. You know why? Because he is a true son. He understands. He knows exactly what needs to be done so that when you see him again, you may be glad and listen to this phrase. And I may have a little less anxiety. (laughs) It'll make me happy. Isn't that what a father does, though? Yes. After he's raised up a son, and that son now feels more like a brother than a son, isn't he going, man, I'm so glad I get to send. I'm so glad I get to send my son, because this son knows how to serve. This son knows how to sacrifice. This son knows how to seed the planet, and he's going to do it in your midst. And I'm so excited, and it's even going to take a little pressure off of me. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy. Somebody say, great joy. Great joy. And honor men like him. Men like what? Men like this son who was sent and got even elevated because he almost died for the work of Christ. Risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Ouch. Why don't you just tell us what you really think there, Paul? See, Epaphroditus, his sacrifice was so sincere. It was so complete that he counted his life as nothing to make sure that the work of the Lord was advanced everywhere. This son became a brother to Paul. My goodness. A son who becomes a brother. Man, may the Lord make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. May he change you. May he grab you and elevate your status. Because he sees that you are in a world that doesn't understand. But you are standing as a son of the kingdom. You are standing as one who's going to sacrifice. You're standing as one who is going to serve in every way. So that the seed of the gospel may get out to the world. That is the one. May you be like Ephraim and Manasseh. May you be lifted up and be the model for others to be blessed as well. See, men like this, these are the men who should be honored. Amen. Golly. Being around people who want to be honored and have no idea what it takes. How dare you disrespect me? Do you know who I am? Is this what Epaphroditus did? Is this what Timothy does? Is this what Paul did? This is not what Ephraim and Manasseh did. They were men who served, who sacrificed, who seeded the world. And what happened is the Lord chose and elevated them beyond. Come on, these are the men that the Lord honors. And so should the rest of us. Men who know how to raise up sons. Men who know how to be a son and be elevated. How to raise others up to be sons and be elevated in every way. So that we're all, what does that mean? That means we're all shooting for the same level here. We're all shooting to become brothers because we were sons who were sent. Man, those sons who sacrificed for their fathers, they get elevated and become brothers. Incredible. 
Let's turn to 1 John chapter 3. Read the writings of a man that was a son, was elevated to a brother, sent into the world to make more sons that turn into brothers. 1 John 3, verse 7. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. Wow. Wow. Seed that allows you to participate in sonship. The seed that allows you to be elevated into a brotherhood. Because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning. Because he has been born of God. Because he is a son of God. Because he's not a degenerate form of wheat. This is how we know who the children of God are. And who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. Nor is anyone who does not love his brother. See, the Apostle John is speaking to his children. He's speaking to the children of the kingdom of God. Those that the seed that was inside of him has now been planted in them. And they have been recipients of a sonship and looking forward to an elevation to brothers. I love the Apostle John. I love his writing. It always brings such clarity. There's such beautiful, clear simplicity to what he's saying. That there's a distinction between the righteous and the wicked. See, John understood what, what passages like Leviticus 10.10 10 said, is there must be a distinguish between the, a distinguishing of things that are common and the things that are holy, yeah. the things that are clean and unclean. Ezekiel 44. So many places say this to us. See, and John understood it. The reason the Son, somebody say the Son, the Son, the reason the Son appeared was to destroy the devil's work. That there be a clarity in what's going on. That the light of God's written word would bring such a distinguishing feature that it was easy to determine the seed from the weed. It was easy to determine who the sons of the kingdom are and who the sons of the devil are. But the reason a Son is here. If the son came to destroy the works of the devil, a son must be coming to do the exact same thing as the son. And how are we going to do that? See, it's not about us talking about it, church. We are, we are building a church. You are a part of a church. You're a part of a family that we're not, it's not good enough for us to talk about it. It's not good enough for us to understand. Yes, there has to be a distinction and lack distinction in our own hearts. There has to be distinction. See, real sons, they do this by serving, by sacrificing, by being able to seed the planet with the exact same seed that they have received, the exact same seed that you become and that you are. This is a precious thing. We want to be sons of the kingdom tonight. Amen? Amen. 
Do you want to be sons of the kingdom? Yes. Ah, but it begs the question, how do we know which is which? How do you distinguish? How do you discern between sons of the devil and sons of the kingdom? Because they may look the same for a period of time. But ultimately, the distinction is completely seen by those who overcome. By those who overcome dark, sinful, degenerate ways in their own lives and those who actually don't. Church, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 as we look at it from the perspective of sons who are serving. 1 Corinthians 3, and we're going to start in verse 12. Wow, what an important passage. It keeps coming back to us time after time. It must mean that the Lord needs us to consider this, to meditate on this, to understand what the implications are for our serving as sons. In 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 12, it says, If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day, somebody say the day, the day. will bring it to light. It will be revealed with the fire of God's written word, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Saints, when we're reading this, we're seeing a distinction. We have wood, hay, straw, gold, silver, precious stones. And when looking at these items, it's easy to see that sons of the kingdom build with God's word. Because God's word is gold. It's divine. Sons of the kingdom build with silver, which is the redemption that God has to offer. Sons of the kingdom build with the salvation that God provides as precious stones, as diadems that will be set in our crowns. But there's an opposite side to this. Now, they put up verse 12 on the screen for us. See, the sons of the evil one, they have wood that's disguised as the word of the Lord. They have hay that's disguised as heavenly redemption. They have straw. Man, straw. Straw that they're disguising as their own salvation. See, there is a difference between those who have the seed of the kingdom and those who have a different kind of seed in them. They've been planted and sometimes they can grow up right next to each other. But the proof will be seen. The proof in our lives of every area that is firmly based on the word is going to be seen. And the proof is also going to be seen of the things that we are not completely establishing upon the firm foundation that is the written word of God in every area of our lives. Which material that you will build with is going to be determined by your level of sonship and relationship that you have with the Father. I'm going to read for you Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. And I want you to hear what is that what we must do. In order to get this right. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature. From that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit. From the spirit will reap eternal life. See. We're not to let there be any sowing. Into dark degenerate thoughts. We must rid ourselves of these things saints. That God cannot and He will not be mocked. 
when you sow to please your sinful nature, there's only one byproduct, and that is destruction. Church, but we know that you're here. You're here to be saints who learn and who know and who operate as sons of the kingdom, pleasing the spirit in every way, producing eternal life. See, it is our prerogative. It is our desire to be sons who are sent, sons who are acting as sons and living as sons in the kingdom. Let's turn to John chapter 121 and see the next step that we must do. John 1.21 Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And humbly, say humbly. Humbly. Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Church, James is written to people who consider themselves believers. This is not written to someone else somewhere else. Get rid of all moral filth. Somebody say all. All. Get rid of the evil that is so prevalent. Evil that is so prevalent. How is that the case? He's talking to people who are believers. He's talking to people who should know. He's talking to people who have received the word. He's saying, you've got to get rid of all the moral filth. You've got to get rid of the evil that is so prevalent. What does that mean? When it's prevalent, it might be that it's that it's apparent. It is in you. It is on you. And you don't even know it because it's so prevalent. This is what James is speaking of here. But there's a solution. The solution is to humbly accept the word that has been planted in you. What does that look like? That looks like coming in contact with the Word of God that is living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It's having the Word applied to your thoughts and your attitudes, judging them, putting to death those dark thoughts, putting to death that deceptiveness, particularly self-deception. That self-deception says, really, that's really not moral filth. That's really not evil that's prevalent. A smoothing over of your own sinful actions but instead utilizing the word that has been planted in you to reveal it in the light so it can be put to death once for all. But it has to be done humbly. You know what's difficult, Pastor? What's that? It's difficult whenever we're trying to hang on to pride but still act like a son. When we're hanging on to our fear of not being revered by our peers because we want to be seen as a brother of the king. Church, God was so faithful to us tonight during our worship time. The word was about encouraging us to be able to be reconciled back to his word. That every area of our life, that there not be a distance between what the word says and what we're doing. See, that that distance closes because the Lord is helping us. He's going to bring us up. He's going to help us to be sons and he wants to be able to elevate us. But let's look at John chapter 12 as one of our final verses for the evening. John chapter 12, and let's look at verse 24. John 12 and 24. Everybody in the room needs to get there. John 12, 24 says this. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies. 
It remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. It produces many sons. It produces many. The man who loves his life will lose it. While the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant, my son, will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Come on now, this is, this is a beautiful passage this evening. Saints, when we read this. He begins by laying out the framework. How do you go from being just a single seed to producing many seeds? Death. You lose the ownership of your own life. You welcome, you run to, you embrace the death of your own so that life may be given to others. We're raising up sons of the kingdom in this house that is built on the sacrifice of our own will, our own lives, because it's about giving life to others. See, to serve him, it demands. The only way to serve him is by you sacrificing. By you being a son who understands that sacrifice is not a one-time thing. It's not what you did even last week. It's what you're doing now. It's the sacrifices that you're making now. So that you may serve and honor this one. That you may choose to die now so that life may be brought for others. I'll say so when we are choosing to lay down our life for others, we're actually honoring the sacrifice that allowed us to become sons in the first place. We're honoring the sacrifice that allowed us to be elevated to brotherhood. And in turn, the Father honors us as we sacrifice and serve by sending us out to go seed in the same way that Ephraim and Manasseh were sent out. They were granted the rights of sonship so they could be elevated to the place of brotherhood. Like Timothy, like Epaphroditus, like so many who are willing to lay down their lives to serve in spreading and in, in reproducing the seed of this gospel. I want to ask you a few questions. As family. What areas of your life have you sown to your sinful, degenerate nature? That needs to be burned up at this altar. What type of seed have you been seeding the earth with? Have you traded that good seed for a seed that grows up quickly, but it only produces? A poisonous progenitory 
just as the weeds do. As pastors, we know that you're called to be good seed. We know that you're called to be sons of the kingdom. Tonight, you have an opportunity. You have the opportunity to uproot. You have the opportunity to burn up those bastardized, illegitimate areas of your life that have been sown with the seed of degenerate wheat so that you could be made into a new creation so that you could be filled with life-changing power. The kind of creation and life-changing power that carries you forward and your sons forward all the way into eternity, well beyond heaven and earth passing away, what you have to give through the word at work in you will surpass the existence of even heaven and earth. Church, we're going to ask that you stand to your feet now. I have one last scripture for you. It's in Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 18. We're going to put it on the screen. It says, Here am I and the children that the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. Church, it is our greatest desire to be sons who know how to serve because we sacrifice, because we seed the world. Mighty God, that you will help us now. That you will help us now, Lord. That you would help us to raise sons. You would help us to be sons, mighty one. That know how to serve. That can take the seed of the truth of your word. The light of your written word, Lord. And sacrifice and serve by seeding the planet. Lord, creating other sons. Lord, who can be elevated in your very kingdom.